wanted. So I'm keeping us in Luke a little bit longer as we, uh, we continue to follow the events around Easter and they continue to unfold. So you might remember that last week, uh, I read last week, we started at the crucifixion and then we carried straight on into the women going to the tomb on the Sunday morning. And you might remember that I said last week that the link between what the women had witnessed at the cross and then what they found at the tomb was important, that often we look at them separately as separate stories, but actually they're part of one story. And today we're picking up uh, in the next section of chapter 24, just from where we finished last week, the bit that comes immediately after where we were last week. And today's passage is still part of that same narrative, this story that we've been following. Uh, because let's just notice how this begins. Let me put the first bit of it up. Let's just notice how this begins. That same day, that same day as what we read last week. So let's read this together. Luke chapter 24, and I'm starting from verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them but God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who had told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. 
Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. And then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord really has risen. He appeared to Peter. We thank God for his powerful words. Let's just ask him to open this and speak to us through it. Father, we thank you for your word, which is for us. And we thank you for your amazing power over death. The same power that is now at work in us and in our lives. As we look now at this portion of your living word, will you open it to us and speak deeply to our hearts? May your voice, the voice of the one who speaks new life and new understanding, speak here to us today. For Jesus' sake, amen. So, we're still in that momentous day as we were last Sunday. The same day that the women went to the tomb early in the morning at first light. That same day that they had come rushing back to tell the disciples that the tomb was empty and what the angels had said. The same day that the angels had pointed the way and urged them to remember what Jesus had said. And we saw last week that that remembering was not just straight recall, but the kind of remembering where things start to fall into place and to make sense in a way that they didn't before, where you suddenly start to see and to understand things that you've heard before in the past in a different light. New understanding has come. So that same day, that same Sunday, two of Jesus' followers are walking, we assume they're walking home, on the road from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus. It's about seven miles. We assume that it's later in the day now, it's late afternoon or early evening on that day of discovery of the empty tomb. And it's still just two days since the crucifixion. And so these two are followers of Jesus. They are believers. They're not part of the 11, but they are still disciples. They're still followers, possibly Cleopas and his wife, as we saw in that lovely cartoon that Monty showed us. We don't know who they are, apart from one of them being called Cleopas. Whoever they are, they've come to believe in Jesus. And they've witnessed everything that has happened in this past week, in these past few days in Jerusalem. 
And like the women that we saw last week, they are shattered by what has happened. Like the women, this, it feels like this is the end. And they can't make sense of it. It seems like everything they had believed is not true. And as they walk, they are talking over all that has happened and trying to make sense of it. They are talking and discussing these things. From the words that Luke uses, it seems that this is a lively debate. They are debating and disputing together. They're wrestling with this, trying to work out what it means. What can it mean? Jesus appears on the road. Now, this is the first appearance of the risen Christ in Luke's gospel. And Luke just casually drops it in. This is the first time we see him. And he starts walking with them. So here we are in on a secret now that we know that they don't know. They think he's just another traveler. They don't recognize him. He catches up with them on the road. And as would be customary in that culture, they share company together on the road. And he asks them, what is it that they've been discussing so intently and animatedly? And they can't believe he needs to ask. Well, isn't it obvious? What other topic of discussion could there be but all that's been going on in Jerusalem over the last few days? What planet have you been on? How can you not know? But Jesus isn't asking because he's lacking information. He's not asking because there are things he doesn't know. So why does he ask? Why does Jesus ever ask a question? It's never because he's lacking information. It's because he wants to make us think. He wants to make us articulate what we are thinking and feeling and to put it into words, to say it. Because the act of doing that does something for us. The answering of his question that he asks of us is not for his benefit, it's for our benefit. Because it's moving us on. Haven't you heard about all the things, says Cleopas, all the things that have been happening. What things, says Jesus innocently. Tell me about the things. I wonder if you have things, stuff that's weighing you down, blockages, issues. Maybe you use shorthand with God and you don't really articulate properly what they are you just say you know those things Jesus wants you to articulate it 
to think it through and find some words. To not just vaguely assume that God already knows and so we don't put it into words and express it. That's lazy thinking. And we will not progress by doing that. We won't get anywhere. If Jesus were to ask you today, what is it? Your problem, your struggle, your things. What is it? What's really at the root of what's bothering you or what's stopping you? Not just what's on the surface, what are the deeper things? If he asked you that, I wonder what your answer would be. You might want to think about that later at home. Take a bit more time over that. He's not asking the question because he doesn't know. He knows what's at the root of it. The question is, do you know? Is there insight that will come to you through answering his question and putting your thoughts and your feelings into words and saying them to him? Jesus never asks us a question because he doesn't know. He asks it because there's something he wants us to know and to see. So, what things, Jesus says, what's on your mind? Tell me about the things. And so they tell him. They tell him all the hopes that they had, what they believed about this man that they'd got to know called Jesus, that he was a mighty prophet and a mighty teacher who brought hope to the people and spoke with the authority of God. And they tell him about their disappointment, their shattered hopes that the Jewish leaders had had him killed. They've heard the rumors that some women have found the tomb is empty, but that doesn't seem to have helped them. They don't know what to make of that. But they're doing something important here. They're confessing their faith. And confessing faith out loud always has a power of its own even when it's a bruised and battered faith. They're doing what Jesus wanted them to do, which is to articulate, to put into words what they had believed and how they're feeling and how they've been affected by what's happened. They're talking to Jesus without realizing it, but they're expressing a faith. It's a faith that's been wounded and battered. It's a shattered faith. But Jesus is hearing their heart. He's hearing this faith in pain. What do you think it meant to him, to Jesus, to hear that, what they said? We're in on a secret here as, as the readers and the hearers 
we know something that they don't know. The thing that we know that they don't is just how close their comfort is. Verse 15, Jesus himself came and walked with them. Or as some versions put it, Jesus himself came near. They're walking in despondency. They're confused. They're disappointed. They're disillusioned. They can't make sense of what has happened. And Jesus himself came near in the depths of their lostness and despair Jesus is actually there with them and he's going to walk this road with them he hears what they say but they don't know that he's there could that be like us at times that in the darkness, when the dark times come, he's right there with us, but we don't see how close he is. Things can be much closer to us than we realize when we're in the dark. So now that they've told him their things, let's have a look at how Jesus responds. And let's notice that what Jesus does, he does the same kind of thing that we saw the angels do last week with the women at the tomb. He points them back to scripture. He takes them back to things they do already know, but they've forgotten to remember. And he shines a new light on those things. Let's also notice what he doesn't do in his response. He doesn't respond, as our instinct might be, with sympathy and empathy. He doesn't respond by saying, oh yes, that's really hard for you. You must be feeling really devastated. I think that's not because of a lack of empathy and sympathy. I think he does understand what they're feeling and why. But that's not what he focuses on in how he sets out to help them through this pain that they're feeling. Instead of that, he tells them to think. Come on, you know this. It's written in the scriptures that you know well. The prophets have said it. The Messiah would have to suffer before entering his glory, and you know they've said that. Think. And he takes them through the scriptures, the writings of the Old Testament prophets that they would know well, but they seem to be unable to bring them into their wrestling and their thinking. We don't have the text of Jesus' sermon here. Luke doesn't tell us which passages he took them to, but there are plenty through the Old Testament that speak clearly of rejection and suffering for the suffering servant, which they understood to be God's Messiah, who would come. 
And he wants them to understand and to really grasp that the two things that seem to them to be so contradictory for Jesus to be God, but also to have been executed on a cross, those are not mutually exclusive. They can both be true. They don't cancel each other out as they seem to think they do. In fact, the one strengthens the other. The one is proof of the other. He needs to correct in them a really key misconception that they seem to have, a human assumption about what a God-Messiah would be and would do. Like the women that we heard about last week, he needs to move them on in their understanding from a basic and actually faulty understanding to a much bigger and deeper understanding. But it's going to stretch them. Yes, God said he would send a Messiah. And yes, Jesus said he was that one. But yes, God also said that the Messiah would suffer, would be rejected, would be spat upon, would bear the sins of the people. You know that scripture says that, don't you? Think, he says to them. Recall what you already know. You're struggling with this because you're only remembering one part of what the scriptures have said and you're blanking out other parts. We all do it. We all do that. It's our human nature. We take the bits of scripture that we can understand most easily and which resonate most naturally with us and we focus on them. And without necessarily meaning to or intending to, we can leave to one side the bits that are harder and more challenging for us to come to terms with. The things, the bits that are going to stretch us. The things that don't fit with the ideas that we've already formed. But Jesus is challenging them in their sorrow and their pain and their difficulty to go back and read again what the scriptures say and to open their minds to a new light being shed on it, new understanding, to see that actually the painful things that have happened don't mean that what they had believed isn't true and that what scripture says isn't true. It's actually even stronger proof that it is true. It's even more definitely true that Jesus is the savior of the world because of what's happened. Because this was always part of God's plan. It's hard for them and painful for them, but he doesn't want to leave them stranded in that more basic level because stranded is where they will stay. He needs to move them on. He wants them to see this, to get this, 
and to have that growth. What they've seen, what has been real in their experience in these last few days, at this point that is much more real and believable than what Jesus has said previously and even what scripture has said. Are we so different to that? Definitely not. As soon as anything difficult comes along, it's amazing how quickly we can lose our grip, how quickly the loudness of what we're facing drowns out our beliefs about God, and we forget. Jesus doesn't give them any easy shortcut here. He could have just done a big reveal at this point and gone, ta-da, surprise, it's me, here I am, I'm alive, everything's okay. But he doesn't do that. And we need to pay attention to why he doesn't do that. Why do you think? Does he take them the long way round and make them go back to scripture rather than just revealing himself? It seems like Jesus feels that deep and genuine learning and a shifting of their position and their understanding is more important than a swift easing of their pain and sorrow. He could have done that for them, but he doesn't. We would always prefer, wouldn't we, for our pain just to be removed as quickly as possible. We just want it to stop. We just want it to go away. But Jesus seems to think that there is something more important here than just pain relief. He wants us to learn and understand and grow. He wants us to grasp things that we will never grasp if we only ever linger in sunny meadows. How can we find somehow fresh understanding, fresh enlightenment in our struggles? Jesus drags us into the scriptures. He doesn't give us a shortcut. He drags us into the scriptures and he challenges us to hear them afresh and let them speak to us, not with the same old voice, but with a fresh new voice. Only after we've done that, Will Jesus show himself to us as he does here? Enlightenment isn't instantaneous for them. They still don't know who he is. But when they, when they reach their home, it's all still processing for them. But they're obviously intrigued. Something is starting to happen because they urge him to come and stay the night because it's getting late now. He should continue his journey in the morning. Something is starting to happen in them. 
because they want to know more. They want the conversation to continue. They can sense there's something here that they need to understand more. And something happens as they sit down together to eat. They welcome him to their table. They offer him hospitality. They put food on the table to share. A deeply meaningful act. Showing their willingness to welcome him, even though they don't know yet who he truly is. Their willingness to offer to him what they have. They put it on the table for him to share. And now that they've done that, this is when the spirit really starts to move. And the guest somehow becomes the host. Because he picks up the bread and breaks it and gives it to them. Which is a clear echo of what he's done so many times with his disciples and what he did just three nights ago in the upper room. And in the breaking of bread, now the spirit moves. Now their eyes are opened. Now suddenly they can see it and they can see him when they couldn't see him before. He disappears from their sight, but now they know they've seen him. And now all the things he was saying on the road fall into place. Something was happening inside us, wasn't it? When he said all that stuff on the road, when he explained the scriptures to us. We'll revisit this passage another time to explore more deeply what it teaches us about the Lord's table and the breaking of bread and the power that that has. For today, let's just take on board that in the breaking of bread, as they have opened themselves to him and welcomed him, Jesus shows himself to them. And light and understanding begins. The very core of God's work is the transforming of us. The work of the Holy Spirit is to transform us from the inside out, to transform our understanding so that we can see what was hidden to us before and so that we can know God more deeply and more truly we can't do that ourselves we cannot bring that about ourselves we need him to do it in us we need the help and the work of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to open our hearts, to make our hearts burn within us, as they said, and to bring understanding. Glimpses of God 
any understanding of God is only possible through the Holy Spirit. And like these disciples, we need grace to bring understanding. We need grace to be able to see the truth that's in front of us. We may have blockages to that seeing and that understanding, things that we're not even consciously aware of. You may feel generally, yes, you'd like to know more of God, but it doesn't seem to happen. You're not opposed to it, you're generally open to it, but the truth is you don't seem to move forward very much. But we need to understand that there are blockages in all of us, and we need to bring them to Jesus. There are things that have got in the way, not intentionally, often, They're things that are not of our creation, not of our conscious creation. Disappointment, lost hopes, bitterness, hurts, fear, cynicism, relationships, unforgiveness, closed thinking. These are all things that can get in the way of the work of the Spirit in us. We can't see Jesus when we're carrying things from our past with us instead of dealing with them. We need to bring those blockages, those things to Jesus. We need to ask him to help us, to show us what they are, to show us what needs dealing with in us so that his spirit can work in us and we can see him more clearly. Maybe today you need to ask Jesus to show you what the blockages are and ask him to help you work through them. If in your heart You do want to go deeper with him, to understand more and grow deeper in your relationship with him. You need to tell him that and ask him to help you. Maybe you've been drifting for some time now. Maybe you're kind of comfortable going through the motions. It's easy, it's not too demanding. Who needs growth anyway? It's not for me. But that's not what Jesus wants for you. He has so much more for you, so much more that he wants for you if you will ask him, if you will say to him, Jesus, I want more of you. I want more of you in my life. I want more of you in me. I want to go deeper. I want to understand more deeply. And I want to experience you. I want to experience the reality of your presence and your power 
and your love. Do you feel, I wonder, that you know everything about Jesus? You know all there is to know, or at least all you need to know? Or do you feel that there's more? That there's more that he has for you? Is there the desire in you for that more? You know, we never have to persuade Jesus. We don't have to try and persuade him to do something in us, to come and change us and fill us. We're not trying to persuade him to do that. He doesn't need any persuading. All we need to do is to open ourselves and get ourselves into a position where we can receive it. The issue is not at the giving end, it's at the receiving end. We do need to ask. We do need to choose it. But when we ask, he will not fail to respond. Declare your faith in him, even if it's a battered faith. Declare your faith in him. Articulate what you think is the root of the problem or the blockage. Find some words. But declare as well what you believe about him, even if it's bruised and battered. Because that declaration has the power to bring new understanding and new revelation. Do you want more of him this morning? Wherever you're at this morning, however far along the path of faith and following you are, or even if you're not on that path at all, you can start. Do you want more of him? Will you ask him? Will you ask him to help you and to show you? You don't need to persuade him. You're not asking for something that he doesn't want to give. He's longing to give it. You just need to ask. Define the problem and declare what you believe. He calls you deeper. How will you respond? Let's take a few moments just of quietness to pray, to listen.